G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Truth is most powerful when we have to work to discover it. Truth discovered has greater impact than truth presented. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is preaching about repentance and forgiveness. He'll be in both Matthew and Mark in the Bible. He'll share with us about being lost and found. This is another message from the Remarkable series, and we're looking at the book of Mark. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now on Today with Jeff Vines. Now, what I want you to do is take your Bible, two passages. I want you to take your thumb and forefinger and try to find Mark chapter 7. So we're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Mark 7, 24. And just put something uh, to hold it there. And then I want you to go find another passage. And the other passage is Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. So you're in Mark, just go back one book of the Bible. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. So you've got Mark 7, 24. Mark 7, 24, Matthew 15, 21, and hold those together. I'm going to give you some time to find those while you do. I want to tell you that last week we had a couple here from Australia, a pastor and his wife, big church in Australia, come over to kind of check us out. Robin and I took them to coffee, and then we wanted to go just uh, have dinner together. And uh, I, I know this has never happened to any of you guys. I know this never happens to you, but we pulled out of the coffee shop and I said, okay, we need to take a ride here. And the restaurant, uh, which we want to go to, is just up here about a mile and a half on the right. And my wife said to me, no, sweetheart, it's not a right-hand turn. It's a left-hand turn. It's up on the left side about, about a mile and a half. Now, this is one of the few times I just knew I was right. I knew I was right, and I was glad we had witnesses. <laughs> so I was very happy because I would have bet the farm on this one, folks. I knew that Pinnacle Peak is just up on the right-hand side. And so my wife said to me, okay, go ahead. So I turned right and we went up there and then it wasn't there. And I just could not believe it. I was so upset and I, I, I just kept driving because I, I, I just knew it was there. And I had to do a U-turn, a legal U-turn, and came back the other way. And of course, the pastor and his wife from Australia, they're laughing. And uh, you know, I, oh man, my wife is just not saying anything. She's going to do that later. And we get up <laughs> and we find the restaurant. And I just, I was so upset. I just really was because I just knew I was right. But I'm so directionally challenged. I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. 
And halfway down through the journey, I felt I was totally lost. I didn't know where I was anymore. I was, it was that bad. Now, the question I have as we get into this passage, I, I, this is one of my favorite, and it is, it, this is my, I always say it's one of my favorite, this is my favorite passage in the New Testament that we're about to go to. One of the reasons is because it's so hard. And when you find a difficult passage, it means there's a great truth behind it. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever had a time in your life when you just felt totally and completely lost? You know, you remember that, you know, it might be midlife, but something happened to you that all of a sudden all the things you thought life would be like, it's not like that at all. You don't like your job. You're not even sure about your husband if you like him. Your children are kind of estranged from you, but there's something going on. You just wake up one morning and it stays with you for a while. You feel so lost. You feel depressed because you don't know anything anymore. You don't even know what you want. And people ask you, what would make you happy? You don't even know that. And you just feel so lost. I, I tell the story often. My, my mom told us, my three brothers and I, not to take the shortcut through a field that a farmer owned when we were walking back home. We lived in the country. And she never told us why. We didn't question. We just usually obeyed. But I was running late coming home from school because I waited just a little too long playing basketball on the playground with my friends. And I had to weigh the two options. You know, do I arrive home late and get in trouble or do I take a shortcut to the farmer's field, disobey mom, but she may never know because I'll be on time. And I disobeyed my mom and I took a shortcut and I got about halfway through the field of the farmer when I heard what no eight, nine-year-old boy wants to hear, the snorting of a bull. And I turned around, this thing was huge, man, with big horns and everything. And then I had to do some math and I was never good at math. Can I run back to the fence before he can catch me? What's the measure? What's the distance? How fast can I run? How fast can he run? How much ground can he cover? Or should I just keep going and try to get to the other side? So I decided to keep going, try to get to the other side. And of course, as soon as you start running, any animal thinks the game is on and he starts chasing. And these horns are coming at me, man. I'm running as fast as my little feet will carry me. I get to the other side and the fence on that side is a lot bigger than the fence I crossed to get into the farmer's field. It's like a six foot wall. And when you're eight, nine, 10 years old, I can't remember exactly how, I just know I was trying to put my feet in cracks to get up over that wall. And thank God, literally, my mother had climbed the fence and she was, had her arms down and lifted me over, suspecting that something was wrong. She was there and I was never more happy in my life to see my mother. And I hugged her and I hugged her and I told her I would never disobey her again. That was a big fat lie, of course. But at the time, at the time, it felt the right thing to say. Now, the thing about being lost is, when you're found, it's pretty special. When things come right and the world turns right side up again, it, it is really, really special. It's a time you never forget and you go back and you remember that time. Now, Jesus has been trying to teach the disciples something all through the book of Mark and they just haven't gotten it yet. So now he's going to take drastic measures to make sure they learn this lesson. And it's all about being lost and found. And it's all about peace that you and I can have in our lives. No, I'm not talking about only in the salvation sense. I'm talking about really coming to a time in your life when you get it again, and when everything is clear, when you understand what life's about, when you understand the meaning and the purpose and hope of, of everything. But it's gonna take some drastic, drastic measures on Jesus' part. Now, here's what I want you to do. I had you mark Mark chapter seven, but now I want you to go over to Matthew 15 and forget Mark seven. Now here's why. 
You say, we're in a series on Mark. Yes, we are. But remember, you've got four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew written by Matthew, the disciple. Mark written by a companion of Peter on his missionary journeys. Luke written by a physician, Luke, who followed the apostle Paul around on his missionary journeys. And then you've got, of course, uh, the book of John, one of Jesus' disciples. So all of them write the account of Jesus' life from eyewitness accounts, oral testimony, and some of them, they were actually there. We come to Matthew because Matthew was there and fills in more details than Mark does about this story. So the story is in Mark, but Matthew gives us more details. And I want to look at the more detailed story because this is a remarkable account. And here's what happens, remembering now, Jesus taking drastic measures to teach the disciples about lostness and foundness. Verse 21 The Bible says, Matthew 15, then Jesus went out from there, departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, before we go on, let's look at this for a moment. Tyre and Sidon are two Phoenician cities up around the Mediterranean coast. It's where you go for holiday, vacation. Next week, Dane Johnson and a bunch of our small groups will do a mass exodus up to Carpinteria. They do it every year. And they're gonna go up and they're gonna park their caravans. They're gonna have a good time together. And while they're up there doing things that aren't so spiritual, the good people are going to remain behind and we're going to go to church and we're going to praise the Lord and do things that you should be doing on the weekends. And Dane, of course, will want to wear some kind of disguise so that he's not noticed so he doesn't have to play the role of pastor. So he'll wear something like this. And the point I'm making is that Jesus takes the disciples up there. They think for a little bit of rest, relaxation. And of course, Jesus is born in a time before sunglasses and hats are invented, so he's gonna be recognized. And of course, he is. And we go to verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, a couple things here. Number one is this. When this woman comes to Jesus, she has two things against her and she knows it. Number one, she's from the region of Tyre and Sidon. She's a Canaanite. And the Hebrews, the disciples and their families detested the people who lived up in this region. They thought they were at the very bottom of the spiritual barrel. They're beyond hope. As a matter of fact, Josephus, a first century historian, wrote this. He said, the people of Tyre are our bitterest enemies. Again, you just think of the people you think that are at the bottom of the spiritual barrel. Spiritually degraded people who are beyond hope. It's kind of the way Tennesseans see West Virginians. We see them as the armpit of America. And so we do everything we can to avoid them. It's so bad that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, when Jesus is teaching in Bethsaida, he does all these miracles and gives all the good news of the gospel and the people remain unmoved. So Jesus knows how to get up their back. So he says this to them. He says, let me tell you, if I would have said these things and done these miracles, up in Tyre and Sidon, even they, those heathens, those people you think are the worst people on the face of the planet, even they would have believed what I have spoken. And that would have made the Hebrews really, really mad and angry at Jesus. So first of all, she knows she has this against her. She's from a region that the disciples do not respect. She still comes to Jesus. Second, she knows she's a woman. Now remember, I've told you before that when Jesus, before Jesus' time, women were not respected, treated as second-class citizens. Jesus and the Christian faith is the faith that brought into the world the equality of men and women. So when I hear people talk to me about how Christianity devalues women, I think, what are you talking about? Maybe people who call themselves Christians who misunderstand, they may do that. But Jesus and the Christian faith valued women, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, we're all equal in the sight of God. 
Now, here's the beauty of this. She says, as she approaches Jesus, she's going to ask, she's going to approach him in the traditional form that a beggar would approach. And just to show you what she has against her, here is a rabbinic saying from the first century. Now, I didn't write it down because I don't want to be held responsible for it, but I want you to listen to it. (laughs) A, A rabbi in the first century says, he that talks with womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna. That's pretty radical. If you talk to a woman, you bring evil on yourself, you neglect the study of the law, and at last you will go to hell. (laughs) Now that's a rabbi, but it's not what Jesus says. Which is why in John chapter 4, when Jesus spent four or five hours talking to a Samaritan woman, when the disciples had gone into town to buy some food, they came back and caught Jesus in the act of speaking with his woman. They were horrified. They were shocked. You're a rabbi. You don't fellowship with women and especially Samaritan women. So she has those two things against her. The Bible says, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord. Again, the traditional cry of a beggar. She calls him curious, Lord, master, teacher. So she comes in humility, son of David. Now this woman, you're going to discover is one of the most brilliant women in the Bible. That's true, especially in the gospels because she's done her homework. She knows these things are against her and she learns a little something about Judaism. She refers to Jesus as the son of David, which is a messianic term. It's her way of saying, I know who you are. I may not be of your people, but I know you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You've come to set things right, to restore all that is broken. And that's why I've come to you. And she says, I've got a daughter who's demon possessed. Now remember the first century, demon possession was applied to a lot of things. These words could mean a daughter who had epilepsy, who would have epileptic fits. And sometimes that was interpreted as a demon possession. But whatever it is, the way it's written, This woman is in desperate need, and you know as well as I do, a mother will do anything it takes if it means that her daughter or son can be healed. Now, most of you know that I've been talking and uh, we've been mentioning the name Adriana here at our church for quite some time now. And I spoke with her yesterday again, and we text each other back and forth. And Adriana has made a decision and she wanted to run it by me and it was a very difficult time. She's made a decision that she now wants to stop all this medicine, all this pain and all this treatment. They've tried everything. Her mother, Scarlett's taken her to Seattle and she's gone through the transplant. She's gone through, oh, it's just one thing after the next. She's swollen all over because of the medicine and she simply wants to go home now and be with God. And she wanted to know if she should feel guilty for that. So imagine the conversation. Imagine her mother now who's been all through this and her daughter's saying, mom, I love you, but I want to go home and be with God now. No more pain, no more suffering. I just want to go and be with God. That's the kind of pain this mother's in. And I want you to notice what Jesus does. The Bible says, but he answered her not a word. Now the Greek is very clear here. Jesus ignores her. Now that's not like the Jesus we know. And just when you think it can't get any worse, the Bible says, and his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. Notice two things. Number one, that's a bit grandiose, don't you think? She's not crying after them, the disciples. She wants Jesus. And second, good job disciples. Way to learn about sympathy and empathy for people who are hurting from Jesus, your master. They come and say, send her away. She's bothering us. So first Jesus ignores her and then Jesus responds in verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
So first he ignores her. Second, you know what he says? Well, I really wasn't sent for her kind. Now I'm thinking when I read this the first time, what? I mean, it wasn't too long ago that a Roman centurion came to you and Rome has ruled Israel with an iron fist and asked you to heal his servant. The Greek word is very tricky here. It could be son. Ask you to heal his son or servant and you transcended the distance and accomplished a miracle for a Roman centurion. What do you mean you only came for the house of Israel? And what about that parable where you said, I tell you the truth that many will come from the east and the west. When Jesus uses the term west, it's beyond civilization. It's everything and everybody you think is in the barbarian land. Even there will be people from the west, from those outside of Israel that will come and will sit around the banquet table of God. People you think are the worst people in the world. They will be at the banquet table of God. All who call on the name of the Lord. What do you mean you only came for the house of Israel? What about the Samaritan woman? You spent half a day with her. What do you mean you only came for people from Israel? So he first ignores her. Then he says, I'm not sent for her kind. And then here's what she does. She came and she worshiped him. Proskuneo is the Greek word. She moved forward with a kiss. So she's probably going to kiss Jesus' feet now. And she says again, Lord, please help me. Now, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, he ignores her. He says, I'm not sent for your kind. And then in verse 26, he says this, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So now he calls her a dog. What's going on here? Let me talk about dogs for a second. My wife, about 10 days ago, brought home yet another animal. Now I've had, I've, you know, I've got an iguana. We've had bearded dragons. We've got everything in my house. You know, that movie, we bought a zoo. My house is a zoo, <laughs> but I, I, guys, I put my foot down. I say, you can bring your animals in the house, but not in the bedroom and not in my half of the bed. <laughs> How many times do you think I've come home and Milo's been sleeping on my half of the bed? She brings this little thing home. It's a little ground squirrel. She rescued it at the barn where she rides horses because a snake, a rattlesnake had killed her mother. Now, how many of you get a text from your wife when you're in the middle of a staff meeting that said, got the snake, chopped his head off, your wife? Yeah, she chopped his head off and brought it home and skinned it. That's my wife, just, just saying. She brings this little baby squirrel home. The problem is I got attached to it, but I didn't want her to know. I started liking this little thing. So when she would go out of the house, I'd take it out of the cage. And while I'd study or read at night, it'd just crawl all around, just stay right in here. I'd put it in a shirt and it feels funny, man. It's freaky when that squirrel goes everywhere. Ooh, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like a little squirrel massage. And uh, I started getting close to this thing. So I'm, I'm really close to it. So now I'm happy about it, but I don't want to tell her. I come home last Tuesday and I go to get the squirrel and it's not in the cage. Robin's been feeding it and nursing it, you know, to full health. And then we're thinking, what are we going to do with it? And I think, man, a pet squirrel, this is cool. <laughs> she says, I can't find him. He's out of the cage. Her, he, she's out of the cage. I thought, oh no. I went and the back door was open. So I ran out in the backyard and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll catch her. And she's not gotten too far and I can bring her back in. And I go out there and she's dead. Yeah. My dog got her. <laughs> now, to be fair to Milo... To be fair to Milo, he did not bite her. He just wanted to use her as a play toy and he probably sat on her or something because she had no teeth marks, but she was dead. And I was furious at Milo. So I came back to Milo and I said, you squirrel killer. 
I'm not feeding you for weeks, man. Forget it. I was so mad. I realized you're a bad dog. I, I mean, Robin said, don't, I'll be bees. I said, but he killed the squirrel. And I like the squirrel. You did like the squirrel? I like the squirrel. I love that little squirrel. I want the squirrel back. Bring me another squirrel. <laughs> but to show you about dogs, Milo repented. He did. I got a picture of it. He put his ears back, his head down. I said, Gra- grab my iPad. And he repented. Dog, at least he repented. Now, do you think a cat would have repented from killing a squirrel? No. No way. You know why? Because cats are evil. That's why. This dog repented. Now, here's the thing. Why do you tell that story? You and I think of dogs as pets that are part of our house and part of our lives. First century, dogs were not pets, folks. They were scavengers that made their way up and down the streets to lick the running sores of those who were in some kind of ailment or experienced some kind of sickness, and they were just scavengers, and they were just... Pests, real pests. Jesus calls her a dog. He ignores her and he says he wasn't sent for her kind. And I want to explain to you what's happening here. We're only partway through this message from Pastor Jeff, but that's when we need to pause for today in our message on repentance and forgiveness. Next time, we'll see what else we can apply to our lives from these verses in the Bible and by looking at the faith of this Canaanite woman. This is her first meeting with Christ and she already understands the gospel completely. Jesus is trying to teach that no one, absolutely no one is too far from God that they can't be reached. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 